Welcome to the Walk Podcast of the Thompson Institute, a podcast for students and faculty on your walk across campus as a resource for your spiritual journey. I'm Aaron Badenhop. And I'm Jordan Browning. And we are your hosts and fellow Buckeyes. In episode two, we continue our conversation with Dr. Peter Kraft during his visit to OSU. We ask whether or not there is a real moral right or wrong, why objective morality matters for one's spiritual journey, and can we reason our way to belief in God? Some point, at one point, I think it's right around the middle of the book, uh, the question that Socrates and your character butt up against is, okay, um, is there a real right and wrong? And I think even in the book you say this is sort of the most, maybe Socrates even says this, this is the most valuable stop that we have to make because this fork in the road sort of determines so much. And this book I think was written, you wrote it in like 1986 or maybe that's when it came out. Mm -hmm. So um, upwards of 20, 20 plus years ago. And I, I was just wondering you know, now in 2018, do you feel like that's still the case? Do you, do you find that in today, maybe even in America or West, the Western world, this is sort of the crux of the issue? Yes. If I had been writing that book centuries ago, I would never have said that that's the most important question because almost everybody agreed that it was. Hmm. And we're living in the first society in history, modern Western civilization, most of whose intellectuals are moral relativists who believe there is no objective, knowable, right or wrong, that we make up the rules as we go along. No society has ever believed that and survived. So that's the crucial question for the survival of our whole civilization. And if what's true of civilizations is true of individuals, because civilization is made up of human individuals, uh, and human individuals are the agents that uh, structure their civilizations, then that's also true for each individual human being and each individual human soul. Uh, once again, it's the seek and you shall find uh, principle. Uh, I'm intrigued by the fact that in John's gospel, the very first words out of Jesus' mouth is, what do you seek? What are you looking for? Hmm. Question number one. <laughs> yeah. That's great. A quick follow-up question for that. Uh, could you summarize for our listeners what the conclusion is of this um, well, either if there's a God, he's the answer to all questions. If there's no God, there are no absolute answers to any questions. So the question of the existence of God is obviously crucial. There's nothing else that makes more of a total difference. Now, in the journey, I use merely human logical reasoning to overcome all the obstacles to that final question, uh, relativism and skepticism and so on. Uh, but once you come to that final question, uh, I was tempted to use the traditional arguments for the existence of God, which I think are useful and, and even logically valid. But instead, uh, I came to the point where, I, uh, where the, the person on the journey simply meets God because that's how most people do it. They reason their way to the ocean, but they don't use reason to, to jump into the ocean. It's a leap of faith. Hmm. What reason can do best is overcome the obstacles. But to make that final leap into his arms, I think you need something more than reason. You hmm. need experience. But I, I think God will give you that 
energy to make the act of faith if you honestly pursue the journey to that point. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. I was even going to ask, maybe you just answered this, so tell me if you did, but <laughs> with that chapter, um, I, I, that chapter stood out as well. Like, I think you even described it as sort of a, this isn't, uh, we don't argue our way to God maybe, but it's a confrontation with reality or something like that. Um, and so I, I feel like a lot of students probably on campus would say something to the effect of, okay, like I'm open, I'm open to the existence of God, um, but his, her, its existence doesn't make sense of my reality right now. Um, or maybe another way is like, how, how does someone even begin climbing the mountain that your character was climbing in that book? Like, Well, if they really are open to the question of God, uh, then they're either already climbing the mountain a little bit, uh, or if they're not, then they're not really open to the question, and they probably misunderstand God. Most atheists, I think, don't understand who God is and then reject him. Most atheists misunderstand who God is. The cosmic, cosmic puppeteer, uh, the, the cosmic Gestapo chief who's looking over your shoulder to be sure you're not having any fun, some, some silly human conception of God. Uh, most human beings aren't totally insane. So if they saw who God was, of course they'd fall in love with him. They're not, I hope, stupid enough to say, yeah, uh, God is perfect goodness and perfect love and perfect joy, but the hell with that. Hmm. So reason can do a lot to clear away those misunderstandings. It can't make the final step. A car can get you very close to the beach, but it can't you get, get you into the waves. Hmm. You've got to make that leap. Because God's a person and not just a thought. If he were a thought, reason could, could go all the way. But if he's a person, you have to trust him. Hmm. Yeah. I like that. Oh, and I think, even to acknowledge, too, like all three of us here are Christians, so we're, we're referring to the Christian God here. Yeah. Do you think that even engagement with the Bible is part of that process for you, or like the openness of God's existence? Yeah, but that's not the first thing, because the Bible's easy to misunderstand. It's not meant to be uh, an owner's manual, a repair manual, uh, a kind of answer to all questions. It's a historical record of God's ongoing revelation, uh, which is very complex. So I think pre-evangelism, in a sense, is more important than evangelism. That is, fertilizing the soil of the human mind to clear away misunderstandings and to answer objections, uh, which are obstacles in, in, in a soil that's open to it. Hmm. Cool. Um, yeah. I've also, yeah, met, we, I would say, should say we, we've met students on campus, I think, who get to the point where they would say, okay, yeah, I believe in some higher being, um, but when considering Christianity, um, want to take even the Bible or Jesus as more exemplary or uh, figures or just a figurative thing in general. So nice life lessons on how to live well or sacrificially for others rather than grounded in history and reliability and even like the progressiveness you yeah. were just referring to. Um, what do you, what would you say to that student who's kind of there and willing to even acknowledge, yeah, that these things are important the Bible, the figure of Jesus, but I don't know if I can go so far. 
Well, as far as I can tell, in my experience, the most common answer to that question is that most students who come to that point don't really mean what they say. That, uh, yeah, I am open to some sort of God. I'm an agnostic, not an atheist. Fine. They're honest there. Uh, but the God of the Bible turns me off uh, because he's a moralist, he makes demands, he's got a law, he interferes with your life. But I like Jesus. Uh, ideals, uh, goals, uh, let me aspire towards this. Uh, they like to look at Jesus in the same way they look at the Bible. Here's a book, you can put it on the shelf, and if it's going to bother you, you can turn away from it. Uh, but it's not going to jump off the shelf and chase you and make you feel uncomfortable. It's not the hound of heaven. <laughs> sure. Well, the God of the Bible is the hound of heaven. And when people meet God, even believers, they're not comfortable. They're uncomfortable. He's demanding. He's loving, but he's demanding. So I think the, the, the main reason for people turning away from the Christian faith is moral rather than intellectual. They don't want the God who is going to interfere with their lives, especially today in our culture with their sex lives. Because you have to give your whole life to God. Uh, no exceptions. And that's the exception most people want to make uh, uh, to the moral law. Yeah. Hmm. yeah. Well, in the epilogue uh, of the book, you write, I'm going to read a quote that you wrote. Only when I said yes to the terrible and wonderful invitation to give up everything to the God on the cross who had given up everything for me, kind of like you were just referencing the demand yeah. as well as the love, only when I no longer tightly and fearfully grasped that precious life of which he, the Lord, uh, he was the Lord, but gave it up to him. Was I truly free? Um, and so I, as I read that, I was thinking like to some years, what you're describing might sound restrictive, confining, uncomfortable to the max, maybe <laughs> rather than true freedom. So uh, yeah, even like, what is this freedom you're talking about? That's this true. There's a wonderful paradox here. We Americans are rightly enamored of freedom. We're, we're made for freedom. We don't like oppression. Uh, and that's so in our bones that we look at the God of Christianity as uh, uh, an oppressor. And yet when you look at the saints and when you look at ordinary sincere Christians, you don't look at people who are oppressed. Yeah, there are bad Christians who, who are unhappy and, and feel oppressed, but, but real Christians are, are freed. God wants to free you from what? From addiction. Uh, from addiction to selfishness, your ego, to pleasures, whatever they might be. Might be sex, might be shopping, might be fame, could be anything. Uh, when you're in contact with God, you're in contact with absolute love, and love always respects the freedom of the beloved, and therefore he always gives you the free choice. But love also wants to free the beloved from whatever is, is interfering with that joy. Uh, that's why the, the strongest and most effective argument for Christianity is a saint. Nobody ever won an argument with Mother Teresa. Uh, her, she was very simple. She very rarely uttered words of more than one syllable. Uh, and yet the, uh, the joy in her eye was uh, unmistakable. So uh, if you're a Christian and you want to uh, communicate the gospel, the first way to do it is by being a saint, a joyful Christian. And if you're an agnostic and uh, uh, want to investigate what it is to be a Christian, uh, look at the saints. Read, read the, the, the writings of the saints. Read their lives. Uh, are they oppressed or are they really free? Mm 
Well, how does that work? Well, I'm going to quote uh, somebody who's definitely not a Christian, uh, and many Christians will be a little suspicious of him, Buddha. Buddha was a great psychologist. I don't think he was a great theologian. He didn't claim to be, and he didn't believe in any kind of personal God. But he was a great psychologist, and one of the basic truths of Buddhism is that to live is to suffer. That's the first noble truth. And the cause of all suffering is egotism, graspingness, selfishness. Gotta have it. Hmm. I think that's profoundly true. And if Jesus deals with that, and Buddha does too in a very, very different way, Jesus deals with that. He's dealing with life's most important problem. You've got to take him very seriously as something much more than just one of many nice moral ideals to imitate when you feel like it. Jordan, what I found to be interesting from this episode is how Dr. Crave talked about how reason can only get you so far. You know, he used that metaphor of the ocean. You know, you can mm -hmm. drive the car up to the ocean, but... It, it can only get you right up to the edge that there's this element of having to experience God uh, beyond just uh, reasoning your way to belief in God. And the reason that sticks out to me is on the one hand, it seems that uh, that's difficult because we can only experience God in a sense if God allows us to have an, an experience of, of him. That's sort of out of our control. But at the same time, Dr. Crave talked about uh, Jesus's words when he says, if you seek, you shall find. And so there's also this belief that if we are open, if we're willing to take that step and pursue an experience of God, that perhaps maybe God will allow us to have an experience of him and help us to cross that barrier from just reasoning ourselves to the edge of belief and and actually entering into belief because we we feel that we've had an encounter with God. And and I wonder if there are many people who are Christian believers today who would say that they had that sort of experience, that maybe mm -hmm. they reasoned their way past some obstacles to faith, but when it came down to it, uh, they experienced God in a way that seemed to surpass uh, just intellectual ideas. Yeah, and, and even in ways that maybe they couldn't. Yeah, like you were saying, couldn't explain fully. Um, it even makes me think of the value of faith or trust if this God is real. Like, you know, there's that mixed with uh, my reasoning towards him. Uh, I, I think something that stands out to me is at the end of that episode, um, Dr. Kraft was talking about Christian freedom um, and that essentially it's God wanting to free someone from their addictions, i.e. their selfishness, their ego, uh, and this being because he is a God of love, that true love, um, it, it's not going to allow someone to be as they are, to stay as they are, if that's causing harm to themselves or causing harm to others. Uh, it just makes me think, like, if, you know, if there is a God, if the God of the Bible, or if the the, if God is as the Bible says he is, um, then he's the one that created life as it was meant to be lived. Um, and if that's true, like then the creation is not one to define freedom for itself, but rather it has to, has to get that directive from the creator. Um, and that's hard. I, yeah. Like this is difficult, I think, to wrestle with, even for myself as a Christian. Because uh, there are times where even still, like I just don't, don't like... Um, 
that uh, that direction from from God, and I want to be the one sort of in control of my life. Uh, it just requires requires a level of trust, even going back to kind of uh, and that faith that you were talking about earlier. If you're interested in exploring this idea of freedom more and sort of what is true and real freedom, I'd encourage you to go back and listen to one of our podcasts with uh, Dr. James K.A. Smith as we had a pretty extensive conversation about what that means uh, with him. Thanks for listening to episode two of our interview with Dr. Peter Kraft during his recent visit to Ohio State. In our next episode, we ask why the possibility of Jesus' divinity matters and the question, didn't the church just create a divine Jesus? Thanks so much for listening to The Walk of the Thompson Institute. The personal views presented by the scholars and professors on our podcast do not represent the views of their employer. For upcoming events and for more information, visit thethompsoninstitute.org, a program of CREW at Ohio State.